Welcome everyone, this is Carlos from SeedCamp. Today we're going to explore multiple subjects ranging from company building to what it takes to build a local ecosystem. And to discuss that, we have three special guests that are all critical parts of the Netherlands startup ecosystem. We have investors and former founders Ton van Nordende from Keden and Oscar Neppers from Rockstart. And we have a special guest, startup envoy and Prince Constantine van Orange, who leads up Startup Delta, the Dutch support program that boosts the entrepreneurial climate in the Netherlands. To kick things off, Constantine, could you please walk us through some of the great works you've done in conjunction with Neely, as well as through Startup Delta and some of the upcoming Startup Fest initiatives? Yeah, so um, I used to be head of cabinet of Nelly Cruz, where we really try to be champions of digital transformation and try to bring the whole world of entrepreneurship and startups to a higher level of you know, policy making. And then after European Commission, I helped Nelly set up Startup Delta and then initiated Startup Fest which was a big festival in the Netherlands with 36 events in 16 locations. And now I was asked to take over Startup Delta from Nelly Kroos, so I've done <coughs> in her place. Excellent. Ton, maybe you can walk us through a little bit about what Keaton Ventures is about? Yeah, of course. So, Carlos, uh, great to have me today. So I'm currently partner at Keaton. We're a leading Dutch seed stage VC that really wants to change the way venture capital operates. We are actually a deal-by-deal -deal fund. We take a lot more risk up front and we take and to make fast decisions that help startup founders in the early phase. Next to that, I'm also initiator of Angel Island, which was a voluntary project set up to break the traditional way of connecting angel investors with founders. We basically got them together on the island, 200 investors, 200 founders, no panels, no speakers, no pitches. And uh, we had a program that enabled them to actually create real bonding on the spot. And I'm trying to help out as many entrepreneurs as possible. That's what actually motivates me. Excellent. Oscar, maybe you can share <laughs> a little bit about what you're working on. Let me do that by uh, giving some numbers, but I guess that the last line that Tom just mentioned, I bought the domain in rockstar.com six years ago, had this notion of helping startups excel in the most vulnerable time of their company's life. And it's the first thousand days. So what we've done, I bought that domain name six years ago, and now we're 35 people, 98 companies. Uh, we run a co-working startup space in the heart of Amsterdam, 350 people from 35 nationalities, 70 companies. And we just expanded to South America, where our autonomous growth is in expanding what we know how to do after kind of five years of doing it here. Excellent. I want to jump straight into what makes the Netherlands a great country for startups. I mean, there's a lot of great stats we'll go through. And, you know, one of the things that is super impressive is, and we didn't really touch upon it in introductions, but, you know, Constantine is part of the royal family, you know, Prince Constantine being such a large powerhouse in terms of being able to be a steward for the Netherlands. And a lot of this work he does is because he's got a lot of interest in the European and uh, Dutch startup ecosystem. And, you know, maybe that is reflective on why the Netherlands is successful. I was reading a, a recent statistic about the survival rate of startup companies outside tends to be around 44%. But in the Netherlands, it's more like 50%. And maybe we can kick mm -hmm. things off by talking about what do you attribute this difference too. So it's 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 a it's a great statistic on one end. On the other hand, it does maybe camouflage that some companies stay alive that shouldn't be alive. So I think you should look more at which companies are actually going from from startups to scale ups and uh, and how fast they're growing and internationalizing. That's that's maybe a bit more relevant statistic. But it's true we have a lot of instruments to support startups. I think we have very good infrastructure and we have a growing community 
of investors, startups, incubators, accelerators and in universities and in other knowledge institutions and also burgeoning corporate environment that really looks at startups as a source of external innovation. And I think, and that's maybe why Startup Delta was initiated, we have a government that is really keen to play an important role and to be supportive of entrepreneurs. Yeah, I guess that it's all about using your weakness as your strengths. Being a very small country, we've always looked broad to expand. So this is, if it comes to MVPs, to product testing, the smaller you are, the more you have to focus on international expansion. I guess that our language skills are pretty good. Education rate is high and our home market is way too small in general. So we have to focus on international. I guess that makes our weakness or strength as well. Excellent. One of the things that your economics affairs minister mentioned was that by 2020, there's a desire to become in the top five of the worldwide startup ecosystems. And one of the things that other countries have done is tax exemption for investors and obviously there is initiatives like the Startup Fest. But what other things are being done maybe that are just launched or in the process of being launched that are to encourage the creation of companies or investors to, to base their operations in the Netherlands? What we're doing is not only about acquisition from companies coming from the outside. A lot of the elements are there. We've got, uh, um, well, as Oscar was saying, a lot of the, the also the available of talent and, and, and knowledge institutions and, and capital. So it's more about how do we connect them to be much more effective in producing uh, entrepreneurs or successful entrepreneurs and enterprises. We already introduced um, a startup visa so that allows um, mm-hmm. a talent to come in from abroad. And we're working very much with uh, institutions and knowledge institutions to see much more enterprise coming out of uh, out of our universities and the four technology universities are now collaborating to set up um, a valorization fund so basically we are the lubricant and the spark plug of the ecosystem but we don't try to kind of over organize it it has to organize itself yeah i agree I, sometimes i mentioned that i've never been involved in government more than the last five years of my life being 50 that kind of counts for something and it, it's that's a good thing because it used to be you would take care of yourself as entrepreneurs and people building companies and i guess that the fact that we're all we're loosely organized but we know how to find each other and in many cases well at least it's an hour and a half driving if you really want to find people that's really close so that is part of the strength i guess that it's not over organized it's not too organized but it's organized enough to to know how to find each other fair enough one of the comments that sometimes comes up during startup panels is whether or not there's a cliff for startups once they need to raise larger rounds of money as part of their growth strategy. Is there any plans in the Netherlands to help fund or to help spearhead a larger rounds that are necessary to keep companies from having to go abroad to search for that capital? So this is Oscar. I guess that all of us involved are looking for ways to follow up. And I guess that Rockstar has been involved in early stage investing, seed investing, pre-seed even. And we see that having now a portfolio of 98 companies that you want to be close to the companies, you want to stay close to them and also protect your investment. So we are actively looking to expand that. And I see everyone doing that. So what we're doing as a country, although everyone is following its own path, is trying to prove that it's worth to look at the Netherlands, not as a goal, but you need some proof for investors to look at that. And uh, with Startup Fest and with companies that are kind of shaking up the VC system like Kaden, that's happening. So I, I guess it, it's a matter of, I don't know, two years before 2020 even to get into that top five or three even. Mm. Yeah, I, th- I think the, I mean, the, the pension fund, one of the pension funds just opened up a new fund of 300 million for, for the tickets. <coughs> and we're seeing it, 
basically everywhere. We're a bit young into the whole venture capital market, and we're seeing that more and more entrepreneurs are actually investing, reinvesting into the market, and that we're seeing all kinds of different hybrid forms of investment and acceleration and support to startups really on the business side. So the, the whole ecosystem of funding and business support is growing rapidly and in quite an innovative way. I have to agree. I think what's really interesting, if you look at the last 12 months, there's been many new tech funds that have been raised. Uh, I think uh, Constant mentioned Incav, but in total, it's more than 1 billion. So, I mean, this obviously leads to better upstream funding options for startups. And I think the only thing that we need to bridge now is the gap in the really early stage and in the late, late phase. And I think that's something that we're currently learning, right? So I think that's the, the next big challenge for the Netherlands to step in and step up in that game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's one of the one of the challenges that Startup Delta is actually actively. Actually, I'm just just at a meeting here at Utrecht Inc. where we're discussing with the most relevant people in this field to see how we can uh, improve uh, seed capital, availability of seed capital, but also making that smarter. So you were talking about fixing the early stage problem and the late stage problem. One of the things that uh, is really interesting is how certain large late stage companies have, have created EU hubs in the Netherlands, including Uber, Netflix, Tesla, Sonos, Optimizely, NetApp. What is... The Netherlands doing well that is enabling these companies to come in and set up in the Netherlands as the EU hub? Talent, obviously, I guess. So many people compare Amsterdam to Berlin and London, and I always use the example of, so I, if I'm walking around London, I don't see dogs and I don't see children because people don't live there. They just work there. And Berlin is like a place where you can go and kind of uh, work on the goals that you have if you're young, and then at some point they leave. And I guess that Amsterdam attracts talent that actually wants to establish there. And it used to be just creative companies attracting a lot of talent. And I see many of the companies that you just mentioned, it's easy for them to attract talent, the way to live in the Netherlands and everything within an hour and a half of driving to uh, to the place where you work is a maximum. That's, I guess, perfect. Yeah, it's talent, but also, as you said, availability and accessibility. Because, for instance, it's yeah. if you look at Amsterdam, within one half hour, automotive hub, and then with, um, and that's in Helmond, and then yeah. uh, you have in Eindhoven, you have high tech, you have Rotterdam logistics. And so, if you look at the whole ecosystem of the Netherlands, that's pretty unique because it's as big as Silicon Valley. Yeah. And you have uh, quite a big density of tech universities, big corporates, and ecosystems. So, so that really is a bonus. Take Tesla, they're they are based in, um, in Amsterdam for their sales. Yeah. And then in Tilburg, they have their assembly facility. It's the only facility, assembly facility outside the US. So yeah. um, I think it's a combination of talent, obviously tax, but if they want the best tax deals, they could go to another uh, to other countries. Yeah. They still come here because of the talent, because of the market access, and uh, because of the diversity of the ecosystem. So last question, consider, uh, I know Constantine, you need to head off and we will continue our conversation. But one of the things that we've come up several times uh, in this conversation is the startup visa, the talent equation, and immigration is such a key uh, challenge at the moment across Europe. You know, post Brexit, Britain, you know, a large catalyst, the question marks there were based on immigration questions. What is the future of the Netherlands to stay innovative when it comes to the startup visa initiatives, but also in just attracting talent that isn't specifically already working on something, but might in the future be working on something. Yeah, I think actually it was yesterday I was discussing with all of our diplomats that are working on these issues. And for instance, in India, there's a huge desire as well to expand and look in other countries. And we have quite a number of, of Indians, but also South Koreans coming to the Netherlands and working here. But it's two things. You have to build your own pool. So it is working on, on coding in schools and more entrepreneurship in schools and higher education. 
ambition, growing the sort of the domestic pool, and at the same time being uh, being welcoming to founders from abroad, but also programmers and those kind of skills that you need. And uh, but I can't hide that there is a there's obviously a political tension around migration, but that we mostly around high skilled migrants there's a very positive attitude and uh, and in the say the urban and metropolitan areas they they find the right kind of uh, infrastructure in schools and um, and also welcoming atmosphere so that's really important it's really important that we keep that uh, very high up on the agenda well excellent thanks for joining us constantine yeah i'd love to continue i'm sorry i have to drop out but i wish you uh, wish you a good conversation and hope to speak to you soon excellent thank you talk to you later take care talk Bye-bye. to you later all right, guys, uh, Oscar and Ton, we're going to continue our chat. And for those of you yep. that are listening, uh, we're going to transition from talking a little bit about the Dutch ecosystem now more specifically to what has made Ton and Oscar successful by both being founders and also now investors. So mm-hmm. guys, you both started companies and you both started investment funds. Walk us through the difference in how you have approached investing in founders having been yourselves a founder? Honestly, I think I'm still transitioning from being a founder to becoming an investor. And I actually still consider myself to be an entrepreneur, which is actually a pretty tough situation to be in because in effect, you always have a different standing point than the, than the entrepreneur. On the other hand, it's really nice to have been there because you tend to find and understand the issues that they're currently facing. So it does enable you to give a broader view. So I think I would recommend people that, you know, to start out becoming an, start out being an entrepreneur and then transitioning into an investor. But um, it was a pretty tough challenge for me to find a place in that because like I mentioned, you're not in charge. That's the founding team, of course. They know better. So it's, it's, it was a, honestly a, a transitioning that is still happening for me. But it's yeah. an interesting one. Yeah, that's, it's a good question. because I, I have never had another card at, at Rockstar different than saying founder. And I, I guess that one of our strengths as an investment company or acceleration company or all the things that we do is that it feels for all the founders that we're founders for founders. and We're founder-centric, we're founder-driven. And I guess that uh, I don't feel uh, I'm an investor. It's We do invest, obviously. We've invested in 98 companies. We accelerated them. We have a good portfolio. But although we're playing the game of investing, I guess our real goal is to build a culture that is not risk averse, that is really about inviting people to dream big, to step forward, to start, to keep up and to keep going. And it's it's about building that culture. And you, you never address founders as an investor. You address founders and people building companies as a founder because we're all in the same game. And we know the we know the pain and the struggle and the joy and the climax and the fall and all that. And I guess the more of you seen as a founder, uh, and, and I had my first company go bankrupt after I sold it just right after the bubble in 201 and uh, 202, etc. So I guess that, that makes you credible, but it's just why it feels like we're sharing the same attitude, sharing the same dreams. And, and that's the best way to be an investor. And if you just come as a new kid on the block, just being an investor uh, out of the blue, it probably doesn't work because you don't communicate and it doesn't resonate with founders. Because founders have this bozo alert system that they won't buy <laughs> from investors uh, as, as purely as investors, I guess. Does it make sense what I'm saying? It, yeah. it makes well, sense. And, and I think I want to explore that a little bit more by maybe bringing out the attributes that you have seen work best in teams since you guys have seen both from your own operating role, but also from uh, investing in companies. What are the things that you've seen working in teams and the team dynamics? 
we we always say we we don't invest in companies or we don't invest in ideas we invest in teams and so obviously number one two and three is teams and what we use as a simple formula is the probably well known to the this audience but it is like the triple h like you need a in what we call in an innovation driven tech oriented globally scalable company you need a hacker a hustler and a hipster obviously and so that is the first thing to start out with uh, we don't invest we don't support single founder teams we really look at people covering the whole room like every corner of the room so that is that's where you start with and then obviously you have to look at where you add value where you have experience in uh, wh- who's having bold dreams and statements in really changing something it doesn't have to be disruptive per se but it needs to be bold at least I guess let me let me tap, tap into that because I, I completely agree with Oscar on that I think the thing is currently technology is omniscient right competition is global so you're not competing to your local you're competing, competing on a global scale. So what I learned as a founder that we're currently applying and what I look for in teams is, I mean, are we personally aligned on vision? Are we aligned on culture? And is this a coachable team? I don't personally believe yeah, in advisory yeah, yeah, so yeah. much. Yeah, yeah. I more believe in a team that is flexible, that is resilient because there's going to be a lot of challenge they're going to be facing. And I think that is also what triggers me in the first conversation. I mean, those characteristics, I think, are crucial. Uh, let's not forget about execution power because it's all about that at the moment. So it's, it's less about... Uh, existing knowledge in the market, but it's more about execution power, resilience, flexibility, and uh, and being able to, to, to overcome with the challenges on a global scale. If we jump back a little bit in the conversation we were just having uh, with Constantine regarding the ecosystem, as investors, what do you think the Dutch ecosystem needs still? You know, which ideas wow. do you think that are, are still pending? I think it's more about mentality, actually, Connors, to be honest. Yeah. I think what we're yeah. still missing here in the Netherlands is the, the real, actual, genuine paid-for mentality. So I'm not talking about everyone, do, everyone doing everything for free, but I'm talking about opening up opening up the networks. I think that's a crucial one that has not yet happened here on, on, a, on, a, on a total scale. Another challenge, I guess, is that we're still quite scattered. So, I mean, as a country, we're just as big or just as compact as, for example, Silicon Valley. But we tend to be, you know, not aligned. So we're not the single hub at, at, at the moment. So that's why we're a little bit more under the radar are less recognizable and i think um what's also missing and I'm, I'm i'm repeating this question over and over in multiple interviews that i've had uh, lately is that we don't have that investment community yet in the early phase right there's no real paypal mafia of course there have been some successful exits and hopefully more coming but there's no crew that's actually supporting the early stage uh, ecosystem and i think that's yeah crucial yeah, I guess that every every country or city, state or any region wants PayPal Mafia. I guess that one of the things that we are very familiar with, are like the people that founded Booking. So some of the people that were in the, the Booking crew are investing through our accelerators. So that that is, I wouldn't call it a PayPal Mafia, but it's, it is definitely, it's a group of people that are paying, that are giving back to the system. Eric Schmidt was here, I don't know, a couple of years ago, and we asked the question, so what do you what do you need in order to build a system like Silicon Valley? And he says, well, it's very simple. You just need a couple of billionaires. <laughs> and that is yeah. a PayPal mafia, people that can show people in even in school or high school or studying that it it's not about the money, but it's about that it pays to embrace risk, to take a risk, to step forward, to do stuff that it, it's not very normal in terms of career. And those are the examples 
like, I guess, the PayPal mafia, the people that are have grown big and then start giving back to the system. And, and is, I, is there a mafia in the Netherlands that is media or ad tech that you could argue is going to be the future of the Dutch ecosystem? Because if I look at both of your backgrounds, I mean, Ton, you were an ad tech company and, and Oscar, you were, you know, both companies were in the media space. Is the Netherlands going to develop that, that startup mafia from a specific sector or is it a broader view? I think what's interesting, though, if you look about, if you look at the Netherlands from a traditional successful business perspective, we were really good in electronics and in pharma, right? So we have, of course, NXPay is just a you know a big deal. We had TomTom, and in the pharma, we had companies like, for example, Crucel. And I think what is really interesting, and I agree with you on that, Carlos. Last few years, we've seen also a lot of successes in digital segments like travel, media marketing, advertising, software development. I mean, companies like Booking, Booking.com, Travelbird, Shapeways, Trivi Hubs. I mean, Agen in fintech. So I think for some reason we have sort of like made the shift from more traditional segments to the more digital segments that of course also allow us to scale more because we're a relatively small country so we need to expand pretty well. So I think that's a transition that's happening. So you might say that within hopefully five to ten years we will see some successful exits there and hopefully those founders will well hopefully invest again into the ecosystem that made that possible. At least that's yeah. my that might be the case yeah, in a couple of years. I might be too close to the subject, but I guess that if you look at the companies that are thriving right now, early stage companies, it's all platforms. So it's like e-commerce even or transaction based, but it's platforms. I guess that we build an appetite for those type of companies because they're all super scalable. They have to expand by default out of the Netherlands. So I can see like the people that have, invested, that have founded Booking and have made some money with that are all looking at those type of companies platform-based companies, desk bookers, 3D hubs like Tom just mentioned, those type of companies, yeah. We're kind of jumping in and out of the whole ecosystem question, but what challenges have you seen the bulk of both of your companies struggle with? Is it hiring from abroad? Is it uh, some of the structural matters that that could be improved like bank accounts or payments? Is there something like that you've seen as as something that you could maybe do a call out for that you would love to see progress on? I mean, it took me about two to three years to develop a, a correct and, and, and good uh, network in investments, investors, for example. Uh, that's one. But also there's, there's still the fragmentation of the of the total innovation ecosystem uh, across the cities in, in, in the Netherlands. So it's still pretty tough to find your grounds and, and, uh, and expand. And then, of course, there's always the small home market that you have to face. And in a later stage, and that's hopefully you know, transitioning as well. There was it was not possible to grow as fast because there was no you know Series B, C, D funding available compared to the larger countries. So you're constantly competing to bigger ecosystem. I think that is changing, but that was a challenge when I started my company. Yeah, that I still remember. Yeah. And how have you adapted your investment models for that? I mean, I know that Ton, you guys have a very unique way of investing into companies, and and Oscar, you've invested in eighty eight companies, and maybe it's a good opportunity to share how you guys have innovated your investment models. Innovated, I guess that if if you really look in detail, it's it's more every most accelerators in the world more or less have the same approach, right? They invest cash like fifteen between fifteen and thirty thirty k. They take an eight percent share. They do a lot of added value that's non cash. Uh, they do three to six months acceleration. I guess that we don't differ from that. Basically, it's more or less the same thing. I guess the the difference is the flavor and and the style and the way that you position yourselves and how you can attract teams 
global teams, I guess that 70% of the companies are not from the Netherlands that we've accelerated. So it's a combination of the flavor and the approach and the uh, the methodology and reputation. But technically, I wouldn't I wouldn't say that that we stand out in terms of technical financial. So, uh, so we'll we'll revisit that one for how Rockstar works. But I know Keaton Ventures, yeah, uh, Tony, yeah, yours is yeah. very different. So in that case, maybe this is an opportunity for you to share how, how yours Good idea. is different. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, like I mentioned, so since we're entrepreneurs ourselves, we didn't want to be sort of like managing other people's money and didn't want to be charged or, or be charging management fees for that. So we turned the model around. So instead of getting committed capital upfront, like a traditional fund is structured currently in, in Europe, we do it in the in the back. So we invest upfront, we take more risk, more commitment, we pre-finance our own operation, and then we open up the investment, or at least that's what we're going to do in the next uh, coming years, to a limited group of uh, angel and co-investors. That's basically, in essence, the, the difference in model, which also means that we're only actually paid or we only get rewards when we do, when we do a, a good investment. So we're more motivated to do the right deals. Otherwise, we're not going to get the deals refunded, basically. So I think that's the primary difference between us and the traditional sector. I'm not saying that this is the ideal model because also we tend to run into scaling issues. I mean, uh, we're a small team of five partners with limited time, so we can still not do... Uh, for example, the amount of deals that Rockstar is doing as an accelerator. So we're currently facing that issue, but I think it's an interesting uh, new approach towards the traditional model. And what sectors have you seen? I know we talked a little bit about what sectors in the Netherlands is uniquely positioned for and some of the things that have happened in the past. But from some of the companies that you've seen, I know with Rockstar, Oscar, you probably see quite a bit of really emerging tech. And Ton, you know, the founders that you work with, what are the sort of sectors that you guys have been seeing as the surfacing to the top? We've always turned it around. So we've always had the approach that there's a lot that we can learn from, let's say, tech companies in general, uh, innovation-driven, tech-oriented, etc. cetera, uh, companies. And we've always said what we learn in tech companies, we can apply on bigger issues. So we set our own agenda by saying we want to solve, we want to help companies that are solving bigger issues than just and the next, I don't know, social app, uh, which is food health and energy those are really big issues and obviously we also go into like more specific verticals we're now getting into ai for instance like big data artificial intelligence that's on the tech part but we've always said if we really want to stand out and have this unique proposition we want to learn from tech and how to apply that on bigger issues uh, because that kind of sets you apart and to make you really to show what you stand for i guess yeah, I, th- I think for us, it's it's a little bit different. Uh, we tend to look at the front end of the web, basically e-commerce marketplaces, like uh, like I just mentioned, fintech was a market that we were looking to pretty closely. And I think uh, what sets us apart here is that we tend to, you know, really break down on the team. So uh, the, the investment process, of course, we do the diligence. Of course, there's a strict way to determine if a company actually has a valid model. But I think what we tend to focus more, most on is, is not only the market that they're currently active in, but um, like I mentioned, some team characteristics. So that's also why we, for example, have one partner in the team that is 100% focused on, on that team skill and team skill building. So One of the things that uh, Apple was criticized in this recent uh, MacBook Pro launch event was that the product innovation phase of innovation is declining and there's a new cognitive computing innovation phase that's up and coming. You know, you can see that in products like the Alexa product uh, that uh, Amazon invested heavily in, as well as those that uh, Google is working on. And the article goes to say that this kind of product development requires an active collaboration with academic institutions and top researchers. Where do you see, put aside the fact that obviously you guys are based in the Netherlands and that you can go to the Netherlands to start a company and to create one from within and hiring people from within, but more 
globally speaking, where do you see the hubs in terms of your deal flow coming for this sort of academic community meets innovation for uh, the next wave of startups? Companies can establish a company in the Netherlands or Silicon Valley. It doesn't really matter. I guess that the level of education really helps. And I, I visited Eastern Europe or former Soviet Union countries recently, and you see pretty high level of education and also this hunger for change, obviously. Not just adapt the model, the Western model, but also add their specific value. And uh, I guess that if you look at that, and this, I would say there's a lot coming from the former Eastern European part as well as Asia. Excellent. Yeah, maybe to, to add on, I think, I'm, I'm not sure, Carlos, did you mean the uh, the short interview that was published about Steve Jobs on product innovation? Because that was pretty interesting and quite visionary if you look at it into, uh, into, retros- into retrospect. Yeah, I think I think it might have been that same one. It, and it's interesting, right? This is one, obviously, one reporter's opinion. And, and yeah. but it, I think it does bring up a good question, which is we've, if we can assume that a lot of the, the skills required to integrate APIs with a good UX has been mastered across yeah. multiple ecosystems. It's what the next wave of innovation is going to look like and whether it's not just having a good sort of fun environment, but whether it involves having yeah. deep links into academic mm. institutions that own intellectual property. And, mm. um, and I know that the Netherlands, to sort of touch on that a little bit, is ranked, I think, one of the highest in terms of intellectual property protection. But m- the bigger question was around which geographies are going to be generating the most intellectual property? I, I think it's also it's also an issue of the countries that basically understand this thematics the most. It's also something that triggers me as, as an investor, but also as a founder. You know, that if you look at the average half-life of knowledge, it's been it's decreasing for the last 25 years. And I think if you sort of like are out of the business for half a year, your knowledge has become, you know, it's just not relevant anymore. So also tapping into what Jobs has said about product innovation and that the sales and marketing departments are taking over and that's not necessarily a good thing happening. I think the most successful geographies or, or countries or industries or more hubs actually not countries that will thrive and survive are the ones that focus on creativity. I think that is actually the next goal in, in the market. And if you look at that, then still, for example, if you look at the US, these guys have uh, they have so much access to talent. They have access to take, for example, the the Stanford, Wharton, those universities, those colleges. They have the best professors out there. So I think they still have a natural advantage, honestly, on that angle. It's a very interesting view. Yeah. So to wrap things up, you know, there's a lot of elements about what it's like to work with an investor that isn't always transparent. And that involves a little bit about what their personality is like, what their interests are like. Maybe we can kick off with you, Oscar. I know that you're a Kundalini yoga teacher. And, yeah. and you know, this is kind of a, one of those sort of fun facts about uh, an investor. But maybe you can walk us through both from the point of view of giving advice to a founder, but also just talk a little bit about yourself. How does that relate to how you work with founders? How should a founder look at that relationship with an investor? And maybe maybe you can follow it on yeah it, it is uh, that's a that's a really good question because what i feel if i'm i'm now sitting in, in, in like the back in the ballroom of of the rockstar building but normally i'm kind of i've set up camp in the i don't have an office so i normally sit in what we call the canteen or the open space where many of our companies come in and just work or meet or have lunch etc and i guess that my approach is that i'm available if i'm there i'm available and if i'm not talking to someone else i'm available for i guess anything i never talk about money 
I talk about struggle or share my experience or things that I've gone through in my life. Most of the conversations I do are on that level. The fact that I'm, I used to be an active Kundalini yoga teacher was made, made it more easy to come with a solution as well. Because if you're really in this bubble that's just around your head and you're always in this thinking, working, active mode, you always forget to just breathe and sit and connect and uh, to, the, uh, to gravity maybe. Recently, I tried to explain uh, what it is that I'm doing since I've transferred CEO-ship to Rune Thiel, one of my colleague co-founders, uh, is that I, t I tend to not pay too much attention to gravity in itself and try to float a little, to look a little further, kind of develop a vision for what's next instead of working on uh, the details of operations. And in a way that sets me apart from the whole rockstar machine and makes it easier for people to connect me on a final level. I guess I'm not... I'm not really sure I'm making sense, but this is what I feel that is uh, currently my role in that. Cool. Ton? I think uh, as a former entrepreneur and currently in, in, in the investor space, I think finally, you know, the rules of the game have changed. That means entrepreneurship is open for everyone. You can start a company within 24 hours. It might even be better than going through an acceleration phase of three months. Not sure about that, Oscar, but that's something that I'm currently <laughs> seeing. And I think the cool thing is funding is everywhere. It's not even VC related anymore. You see, you know, the yeah. Cedars, Eureka, they're coming yeah. all over the place. Yeah. It's equity crowdfunding. I mean, if you would talked about this five years ago, people would call you insane. And I think that's a really nice thing because when an industry gets more information enabled, innovation tends to happen, disruption tends to happen, and people tend to thrive. So I think it's not about knowledge anymore. You can Google a core about almost everything, which is a good thing. I think as also as an investor, it's about being transparent in what you do. I mean, honestly, the terms... Uh, that we do or apply as a, as a firm are not that spectacular. They're basically more or less standard. And if you look at the US, they have this online webpage basically where all the terms, I don't know, I forgot the name actually at the moment, but the, there's just a, basically a website which displays all the terms up front. I think we should not focus on those particulars, but focus on other stuff that sets us apart. So team, other characteristics, um, how to scale and I think that's an interesting space. If you're, you know, used to be an investment banker and you, you see that uh, this 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 space opening up to other uh, people as well. I think that's, yeah, I think transparency is key and also being able to add more to the ecosystem than just having a bag of cash to invest. I think uh, that's not going to work anymore. Fortunately. Well, that's great. Well, look, we always like wow. to wrap things up with a fun question. So for each one of you, it's going to be the same question. It's um, <laughs> what's something you used to strongly believe that you now think you were fundamentally misguided about? Ah, that is a good question. Well, the one simple answer, the most obvious, I guess, that uh, has changed is, and many people still do, is the idea that an idea is the thing that you need. What I've come to understand it's it's not ideas it's just teams so ideas are so abundant that i have an idea every every second and it's just the idea that really that you do and what you execute and i know it it's kicking an open door it sounds so obvious but many people still come to us say i have this idea and when i started my first company it was all about the idea and you couldn't share with anyone and you had to sign an nda in order to do that and you then you after eight months of building this business plan you went to a bank and you didn't get money that was more or less the standard procedure and people were so focused on hung up on ideas and i guess that the, the thing of letting go of the 
the notion that ideas are ruling it's it's not about the idea but i know for us it may, may be simple and and obvious but it is the one thing i probably have let go the most in the last 20 years Excellent. yeah yeah i think i think this is this is a tough one i think there's so much things that i've that i'm doing differently than i would have done 10 years ago but i think if you ask me this question now the thing that's been triggering me the past couple of months is i think what's more interesting from the invest perspective is that you know as a founder you're you're looking at the way to build your product, attract clients. And then the investor angle is actually completely different. It's not only about the traction that you generate, but it's also about the road towards that traction, right? So then it becomes more important to document the way and you know and then make sure you have actual metrics about the way and how the approach towards the success than actually the success itself i think that's something fundamentally uh, triggered me that it's not only about the results but also the way you document the results in order to attract the right type of funding and to continue and scale and grow your business so that's something mm. those are very good insights well, guys, thanks for joining. We're very happy to have heard a lot of the background behind both of you, but also in terms of how you guys are part of that change that's driving growth in the Netherlands. So thanks again for joining us. Thanks, Carl. Thank you.